0: This is Afonso Davies, and you're listening to BR Football Ranks, and the Bundesliga is back.
1: Welcome to Be Our Football Ranks, your favourite football podcast. My name is Jack Collins and I will be your host today. And joining me as ever, two pillars of the rank squad, Mr. Sam Tye. Hello, mate. How are you? Not too bad, thank you. And Mr. Dean Jones. Hello, mate. And we are absolutely delighted to be joined by perhaps the most best-connected American, in the world game, Mr. Charlie Stilatano, the executive chairman of Relevant Sports, the company that hosts the International Champions Cup, and also a host on the football show on Sirius XMFC. We count Sir Alex Ferguson, Jose Mourinho as good friends. Charlie, it is an absolute pleasure to have you on Ranks.
2: Jack, it's really my pleasure. I love your, uh, your podcast. I listen to it quite often, and uh, I don't get to see your pretty faces, but now this is great. <laughs> It's you know. a special occasion, a special occasion. Yeah, it does.
1: How's it going? How's quarantine?
2: Uh, whew, quarantine. I mean, I guess it's like everyone else, just trying to figure out. It's surreal. You know, it really is. I, you know, I remember 9-11 uh, really well, and uh, but that lasted a pretty short time. This is surreal. Every day you go out, and every day it's a bit of the same exact situation we've been having and every day is a little different you know especially in our soccer world because our football world because you always hear the rumors are starting what league is starting when's it starting what are they going to do and so every day when we report on on our show on the football show it's you know sort of the same and sort of new every day
1: it must be quite refreshing it's obviously refreshing for us on the pod but also for you to be able to have actual life football to talk about again
2: yeah it is it, it really it's I'm, I'm really looking forward to it I didn't think you know it's really kind of funny because we're so oversaturated now right and we're 12 months a year our show you know 365 whatever it is and like you guys are are used to this and without football you know even when there's an international break it seems like Wow, this is a really long time. What are we going to talk about <laughs> by Friday, right? And uh, sh- now we're talking months and months, and it's it's still where, when? So yeah, no, it's very interesting. Basically, deck. just interesting. been
0: like a l- one long international break. Kind of thought of it like that, but that is kind of how it feels.
2: Yeah, and that's like if if your nation's not playing that yeah. week, <laughs> that's really what it's like,
0: you know.
1: It is. I know Dean's been listening to your podcast and he's uh, he's been telling me about it all day, so I'm going to let him get into, into the meat and bones of
0: that. Yeah, I mean, I'll let Charlie introduce it properly, but these he's guys obviously have got their fingers in all sorts of pies in the football world and they, now they're into the world of football podcasts, which means we need to watch our backs a little bit because they've already had better <laughs> guests than we could ever dream of. Um, but the first one that, that I listened to, Charlie, was your interview with Gareth Bale, which which was podcast number one. And he was... Um, Gareth Bale's not somebody you hear from very often. And obviously I'm based in London and dealt with Bale quite a bit when he was at Tottenham. Um, haven't actually interviewed him since he left for Madrid. And from a distance, you start to kind of forget about what they were like as a person and how down to earth yeah. Bale always was. And you kind of get carried away with the headlines of people being greedy or wanting this and wanting that. And I think it was really refreshing on your pod to hear that Bale still is very down to earth and he just loves football and his family. And that really came across. So I I just wondered if you want to give a bit of an insight first into your podcast and and secondly, into how Bale came across to you. Yeah. Well, the podcast is called the hat trick because there's three knuckleheads
2: on it. Me, (laughs) uh, Rocky Ray Hudson, who many people know, he left uh, your your shores a long time ago Mm -hmm. to play for, he played for Newcastle and then he went to play for the, uh, Fort Lauderdale Strikers and never left. Uh, and then Neil Barnett, another guy from your shores in uh, uh, Chelsea TV, uh, I'll call it uh, fame or infamy, I don't know, but we do the football show quite a bit together, different combinations. And, uh, you know, I just had an idea. I said, you know, everyone's doing a podcast. It's like a, it's like a talk show right now, you know, everyone's doing a podcast. And we're you know we've been around so long you get to know so many personalities and you take it for granted right you really do and I think what you hit on Dean is really the the important part we wanted a podcast and the way I've sort of presented it to people including Gareth Bale was we just want to hear about you we want to hear about the human being of course football's part of it you're a professional right and uh, but over the years, I got to know Gareth, and he's very friendly with our uh, with the guys in our staff. There's certain guys that are friendly, and, and it's it's odd, you know, and you never know which one's going to be the guy that goes out of his way. We just had John Terry the other day, and he, you know, this guy is one of these guys that would come up to us and say, you know, I just want to, Charlie, I want to thank you. Your guys did a great job. and And, you know, it sounds like such a little silly thing but it means a lot. And Gareth is one of these guys, like he'd call up some of our colleagues, Nick Cantoni and say, you know, I'm gonna come with the family. Can you help me find a place for my wife? And suddenly, Nick will get a case of wine at his house. You know, these are things that you, you don't think about, you don't think about on a daily basis. And I said, you know, it'd be great for people to get to know these guys, to who they are. Um, and Gareth was really, was perfect because he was so human. Uh, and he was so vulnerable in a lot of ways, uh, that you don't see that as a, as a professional footballer, he goes out there in front of, you know, millions and millions of people on TV, thousands and thousands at the stadium. You never think like he's, and here's a guy that always comes through at the big moment, right? Here's a guy that whether it's the champions league final or European cup, the guy comes through and you're like, wow. Wow. Uh, and so I wanted to, I wanted the world to get to know him a bit, and it, I think it really came out. His humanity came out more than anything.
0: Yeah, I, t- I totally agree with that, and um, I think that you're, you're right. The personalities of these big players does really get lost, and I think that it is really important that now that players can embrace technology themselves and put out content themselves, and or latch onto uh, podcasts or shows that they actually trust, they need to really go for it because it is important that, that fans. Make these connections with players and realize that they are they are real and that they can still make bonds with players. It feels in a way more disconnected than ever because of the the money that that players make compared to your average football fan yeah. but really they're just doing something that they happen to be really good at like we 'd all be doing it if if we could and we just can't um they're just normal guys really obviously absolutely i mean some of them obviously <laughs> they get they get very carried away and um you know, can all go to their heads and they could lose their careers. But Gareth clearly hasn't, he hasn't done that. And no matter how many times he's been linked with leaving Madrid, he's still there and he still seems to be giving it another crack this season and probably next. So it's quite interesting. I must say though about um, MLS, you know, that, that was the part of the pod obviously that, that really stood out to me that Bale certainly not killing off the fact that he could, he could move to MLS
2: you see that and and I think it's the it's something we've capitalized over the years and especially in the International Champions Cup that you have you know they come here uh, the managers feel comfortable the players feel comfortable um, and, and that translates and a lot of them really look forward to the time when I won't say they retire but that the league is very hard they know that but I think what's different is the pressure. It's that mental pressure day to day that you have to deal with. If you're in the Premier League and you're in Serie you can't leave your house. If you've lost, you know I mean? God forbid you lose a Derby. It's but I don't you don't have that same pressure. It's a different attitude, I think, towards sports generally, but in particular to MLS because it's not it's not the Premier League, it's not the NFL, you know.
0: I Depends which city, some... surely, that one, because if you're in Philadelphia, you definitely shouldn't leave your house if you... Uh, if you no, no, no,
1: right. <laughs> that's for different reasons,
2: <laughs> you know. That's a different reason. But I think something the, we uh... noticed
1: last year when we were over, you know, for the ICC and, and, and around it was the kind of, the way that the players relaxed into it. And I, I guess that's part of the yeah. culture. And I thought it was interesting about what you say about uh, about the media and how that access that you got to, you know, people like Gareth, but, you know, the other people as well that have been on the hat-trick, that you, you know, get a little bit more in American sport that people have that kind of access to dressing room, you know, that it, especially across the things that, whereas the media in the UK and in Europe have kind of alienated their own ties in, in many ways with, with footballers because of the way that the news cycle works. And it's quite refreshing, as you know, when we were over there, we were getting infused, in, and people like Bastian Schweinsteiger said exactly what you just said, he was, you know, he said, it's so good. I'm in mean, Chicago. I can walk around. I can go out for a stroll. It's really pleasant lifestyle now. But also just the ease and comfort with which they were then able to conduct interviews. They were then able to to do media appearances without the kind of overshadowing that this is going to be out to get you, if you will. Yeah, exactly. You know, Jack, that's a great way to
2: look at it because I think that's the biggest hurdle to overcome when you know and. Luckily, I've known the people for many years, so it's not going to be like I got you, you know. And uh, that's it, though, because everyone's suspicious. Everyone is like, oh, "Wait a minute, what are you going to ask me? Yeah. I can't." You know, we've interviewed people recently. We've been doing a, a little retrospective of all the World Cups, and you, you get guys, and we've had some wonderful people, you know, over the over the time pulling these guys together. And their first question is, well, nothing about what I'm doing now. Okay. You're like, well, wait a minute. We're, we're just trying to get to know you. You scored a great goal in 82. You know, what are you doing now? You know, and those types of things, I think the older they get, the more uh, open people are. I think that's also not just because of, I think it's probably what they're used to too. You know, Shevchenko has a, a great story because when he went to Chelsea uh, I had to interpret for him because i didn't speak Russian or Ukrainian, none of us did, but I was the only guy there that could speak Italian to English for them, so he's you know he's fluent in Italian obviously, so we had the you know you had the different tables that we have you have a table for the print media a table for the you know this is at least back then you know we had a table for different media and i remember going there and interpreting for him and he said to me about halfway through the interview there hasn't been one question about soccer or about football it's the exact opposite of the press in italy so the press in italy he would tell me would just i can't believe how you you know this movement you made this you know you know you blew this goal or you did this or you did that and why were you, you know, how's the training been? And all the English press was, how are your kids? How's your wife? Is she, you know, where are you going to live? And when you live there, how are you going to, you know, how are you going to, you know, what do you think about Roman Abramovich? What do you think about Jose Mourinho as the manager? You know, So it was all about the, I think, the stuff on the fringes of the game, if you will. And he looked really like... I'm uncomfortable, you know. And there was a number of questions that about his family that he said I'm not going to answer. And, and honestly, I think that most of these questions were really innocent. They were really innocent. Like, where are you going to live? You know. Yeah. And he's like, Why? Why do you want to know where I'm going to live? And uh, so, you know, people
1: take the press differently. Charlie, you've been, as you say, you know, in this game, and you you've seen it develop. You know, over the last year, couple of years into into what it is now and the beginnings of MLS and how that's come through. But I think what we wanted to, to get into in this podcast is, is the kind of way that, or you know, companies you work with, companies you work for are, are driving the game forward and just having a look at some of the things that we think might happen, might get involved in in the next couple of years. So, Sam, I'm going to throw it to you first and uh, see what you you think in terms of innovation and and pushing the game forward. Yeah, I mean, let's start with one that. Well, it nearly happened
0: uh, back in December. We're talking about uh, an official La Liga game, you know, taking place in America. It was a Villarreal game, wasn't it?
2: Yeah. Uh, well, first the first one, we tried two of them. The first one was um, Barcelona, Girona, then Atletico, Villarreal. Oh. And they were the two that we tried to do.
0: Yeah. So Barca initially just said nah.
2: Well, Barca originally said yes. Right. In Girona, most of the members of Girona were members of Barcelona. So we said, we could set up a situation where they could actually, there's whatever, 96,000 seats at the Comp No. So we can get them a ticket to that game at the Comp No. And then our owner, Stephen Ross, I thought was brilliant in that he created a whole system where people could come over, fans could come over for cost. We'd pay for their ticket and stuff. So it was really, it was meant to be something that would open the game up to fans over here without denying fans over there their opportunity. Um, And then the second go-round was Atletico madrid Villa Real, which we tried. And the same idea that we were going to provide, you know, so someone would lose a home game, but then we provide tickets for their fans to go to, you know, to the away match, if you will um uh, so, for free why, why did and this fall so, apart
0: then why, why did it not happen because at a certain point like in well, October like it was going to happen
2: yeah well we have this wonderful joint venture with La Liga and they were really the ones that were pushing it um we were very glad to be the you know the the folks behind it if you will uh, and, and really it's uh, it fell apart because of uh tradition Weren't anything, Uh, and I'd say the power base in this world where football lies—it lies with FIFA and with the federations. And look, there's a battle all the time between the leagues and their FAs, if you will. And in Spain, in particular, there's a real battle—one that's not a not a secret. It's you know, it's the president of the federation uh, doesn't get along with the president of the league, uh, and they're always vying for who's has authority for one, uh, and in this case here, really from all the way from FIFA to uh, you know down to the federation, there were concerns that this isn't something. This was against tradition, you know. And I've had this conversation with a number of people uh, from FIFA quietly, and you, when you put it to them, when you say what do you, what problem do you have with it, and they'll say basically, it's against the authorities. I'm like, okay, but like, what's the problem with it? And it really comes down to, there's a couple issues. One of which is, um, which is the one that Real Madrid really pushed saying that it's, it's not fair because uh, really a team like Barcelona or Atletico Madrid would have essentially two home games against that team because they're, they're more popular. So let's use barcelona Girona if they came over here and it was Girona's home game, it would still be Barcelona's home game because people would come to see Messi and, and Suarez, et cetera. Right. And so that was the sort of, that was an argument. Another argument was, well, this, it, it's a competition and everything must be equal and they have to play in the same stadium. I'd say, wait a minute, Spurs opened up halfway through the season. So you know, or you know, when you're playing one day, it's pouring rain, and the next day, the people are playing are it, it's sunshine. So it's never the same exact conditions, you know. And so that argument sort of fell apart. And then my argument, the one that we've really pushed, is I'm an AC Milan fan. So why is it that I shouldn't enjoy my team? The best the best example is uh, Aurelio De Laurentiis from Napoli, the owner of Napoli. He says, "I have fans all over the world. My family went to Australia, Argentina, you know United States when they emigrated from Italy, and they're fans still right so why why are they denied an opportunity to see their team play because someone's born next door to the stadium they 're allowed to they 're allowed to go, but we can 't." All the arguments against it was really came down to, you know, FIFA saying in the end, it's, it's uh, you know, this is the way it's always been and this is tradition and we don't want to change it. And the, the Spanish Federation in particular was adamant that they did not want a game, even though it was from La Liga, to be played in the United States. And that's really why it, it fell apart.
0: So do you think it's dead now, Charlie? What, what will happen next?
2: I don't know. I mean there's uh there's a legal battle going on in Spain and again we're we're the happy participants if you will. Yeah, yeah. We're we're the happy organizers. We love the idea. I mean it it comes down to think about all the years I love to say I've been pushing his boulder up a hill in America, right? And every once in a while, the boulder falls down on me and someone else comes. And hopefully, we can keep pushing it. But, you know, it's like the argument that people would say when we started bringing games here. Uh, go back to when I ran Champions World, when I started Champions World, and then we did at, at Creative Artists Agency, we had the we had the Champions World Series, then we had the, the World Football Challenge, and now we've been you know, really pushing hard with the ICC. And people would say things like, especially the league would be against it. MLS. I'd say, well, no, that's not good. There's finite number of dollars in this market. And if people go to see Chelsea play uh, Man United, then they're not going to come and see. It's nonsense. I mean, the league has exponentially grown, partly, not, not taking credit for this, but partly because, you know, these big stars came over here and played in front of the fans. And, and by the way, I'll give you another example. Every city we go into, they've opened up an MLS franchise after. And now it's gotten to the point where cities have been bugging us since, since we started the ICC eight years ago. Come, can you please come to our town because we want to bring an MLS team here and we want to show the, the mayor wants to show the the MLS board that he can you know fill the stadium and that so the thought that it hurts soccer, local soccer in some way, is is truly, truly in my mind, misguided. You know? I
0: think that like so the overall arching theme of this podcast obviously the way that the game is going to evolve over the next decade and how the game might look in ten years' time. And I think if you look back to ten years ago and you were to sit down and have this conversation and say, well, in ten years from now, there will be goal line technology, there will be VAR, players will be wearing GPS vests underneath their shirts, tracking everything that they do, um, you'd have had similar conversations to this where people were like, no, no, I'm totally against that. We're not going down that route. I'm a traditionalist. And eventually somebody makes the breakthrough. One league makes the breakthrough, makes the jump. And if it's not La Liga, maybe it will be Serie A, maybe it will be Bundesliga, but somebody... I think in the next 10 years, we'll go for it. And I think that it will then open the door for other clubs to be more comfortable with it, other leagues to be more comfortable with it. And I think that the benefits, I would imagine anyway, are huge to capitalise on the markets out there. There are so many fans that love football but haven't really got um, an affinity with a club. Obviously, you're going to get yeah. people that want to support Barcelona or Real Madrid. But there are other clubs that if they see them once, it's like, I support Fulham because I just started going to watch Fulham and that was that. You know Jack would have been the same.
2: Well, look, I went over. Uh, first time I was over in in England, uh, was I went to play as a schoolboy in 1975 yeah. and I saw less. Leic- I stayed in Leicester, I saw Leicester Villa and uh, Leicester Nottingham Forest, I believe. Two crackers,
1: uh, you got two Midlands derbies,
0: yeah. Good, good yeah. Midland circuit, and, nice.
2: Uh, and you know, it was amazing. I learned what a quid was. I had no idea. <laughs> People would go to me. Hey, and this is, you know, 1975. If you guys, this is way before you guys were born, but they I'm not trying to be one of these old guys. Oh, I gotta tell you. <laughs> but it was frightening, you know, because it was the first time that I saw you know no villa fans allowed in the pub. Oh, uh, yeah. Right. And mm. this was the really hooliganism was was right. just really yeah. rife at that time. And so you know, I also saw a game where the same guy scored uh, four goals in a 2-2 draw. You can look it up. Uh, this is a famous stat. <laughs> yeah, it's a famous stat. and We know the guy, but I keep forgetting it every time I'm here. It's a Villa guy. I'm pretty sure it's a Villa guy. But anyway, it's easy to look up who scored four goals in a 2-2 draw in <laughs>
0: I've, but, I've also, uh, there's also been a game where Villa have, uh, Villa have scored all five goals in a three, two loss.
2: Yeah. That's really sad. That's sad.
0: But it wasn't the same guy though. No, no, it's more of a team effort, but they, but yeah. they lost it. That's <laughs> a, yeah. An impressive
1: team effort. No, but say. look,
2: it's football's changed, but there's still a lot of the same names. Yeah. I mean, when I did the go back to champions world series and the first, We had in 2003, we did the Italian Super Cup here. And it was was the replay of uh, the Champions League final in uh, Old Trafford. It was Juventus against Milan. We had uh, Manchester United opened up uh, the stadium in Philadelphia the same weekend. uh, The same day, in fact, uh, against Ronaldinho. The first game for Ronaldinho played with uh, Barcelona. Uh, That same weekend, we had Juventus play uh, Manchester United. And on a three-day period from Thursday through Sunday, whatever, uh, three, four days, we had between Philadelphia and New Jersey, less than 100 miles apart, we had 250,000 people to see three games. Uh, And, you know, and the only difference between 2003 and now is that the biggest teams in the world were Manchester United... Milan and Juventus. And now the biggest teams in the world are probably, you know, uh, Real Madrid, Barcelona and Manchester United. Right. So but still, the the teams are still there. There's still the Villas exists, still the, you know, the the Fulhams exist. And it's, it's, they may be in different stages of their, you know, ebbs and flows, if you will. But in the end, it's it's still the game. But the big difference between now and then, it's, it's become so much more international. And this, podcasts, TV, that's what's changed dramatically. When I was a kid, you couldn't even see games over here. Mm-hmm. We would get half a game from Italy. That's all you could see. First or second God off. knows why it was half a game. They give you just the second half. Um, and we would watch the games. And they also had a product called Soccer Made in Germany with a guy named Toby Charles who was an Englishman who would do the recap of the game. They would do the whole game in like I want to say a half an hour. It could be an hour, I can't remember, but uh, you know, they shorten it. So the ball would go out of bounds and then pick up down 10 minutes. On, bit,
0: yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. And uh two You know,
2: you couldn't well you could here's how you followed games. You followed games by in the newspaper it would be Aston Villa two, yeah. Leicester three. You know, that would be how you'd file the game. You'd have no idea what was going on. And we'd get a half a game from Serie A. Uh, and I remember seeing Maldini's uh, debut in 86. Well, half you know, My it? father said, watch this Watch <laughs> this kid who's coming in. And I still talk to him about it today. He came in the second oh, half dude. against Udinese. And I saw him. So how cool is that? That, that cool. is cool.
0: Thank you God it was the second half. You... Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you, you've been gutted I don't know why
2: it's the yeah, second half. I don't know why anything.
1: <laughs> well, to be fair, you not I think it's only they can the only afford. An hour of TV time or something, you know. And <laughs> um, Charlie, there's you know, something that you know kind of came up there, but I suppose is 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 more kind of maybe flexible. Is the idea of the Champions League or the Europa League mm. moving yeah. out of Europe? And you know, you spoke about there it being the replay of that final hit in in 2003 and and all of those things. But is, do you think that's more on, I should I say, than than a, a league because they yeah I kind think of so. fixed boundaries to it. Yeah, I mean. I think that that's an easier one for
2: people to get their arms around because of two reasons, one of which is even Europe has gotten bigger, you know, in a sense that you're playing Champions League games, God knows where, you know, and and when they had the Champions League final in Ukraine, everyone was like, well, we could go to New York in the same amount of time. And the difference is New York, we actually have a lot more hotels than I have. (laughs) Uh, And you don't worry about passports and stuff like this. And so it just in in simple terms, it's real easy to do, you know, uh, you know, logistically. And in fact, it's probably much easier to go to New York or to Washington or to Boston than it is to go to Belarus or to go to, you know, Macedonia uh, to, to have a game. That's just the reality. I went to see the Europa Cup final this year. In Baku. Uh, Chelsea in Baku. Chelsea uh, uh, Arsenal. Took me two months to get there. I think, you know? <laughs> I mean, I, I'm still not back. <laughs> I, I, got Baku. <laughs> yeah, I got to America. Yeah, I got from America to London without a problem. And then I had to go to some airport. And I was the guest in this case of Arsenal. And went out to some airport out there. I can't remember where outside of London. It took me about almost two hours to get there. I got there and then it took me six hours to get to Baku. Then, you know, honestly, I felt like by the time I got there, I wanted to turn around. I was exhausted, Mm -hmm. you know? Uh, And so how would it have been? Sometimes with a good wind, I get to London in four and a half hours from New York, you know? So it doesn't make a lot of sense to say it's logistically impossible i guess it's, it's separate
0: um, already right it's it's appropriately yeah. distanced from you already it's, exactly. it's rare that you if even if your team qualifies for a champions league final which for most people just doesn't happen it's pretty rare that then the final will be in the country you're in anyway so you've got to go yeah
2: exactly and and look it's uh this is something that the head of uefa has said already right uh you know FIFA bases World Cup completely on that. They're not all in Switzerland. Right? Yeah. So you know it's it's something that's uh, I think that will come much sooner than uh, than we than we think.
0: yeah, I mean, I think a lot of fans they'll obviously be traditionalists, like with all of these points that we bring up that that won't want to go and play a European competition in, in America. But um you know, the idea of eighty two thousand people at MetLife or like a hundred odd thousand at Michigan or something, I, I think is is something that fans will will jump behind and especially as you'd have one a good chance of getting tickets and and two flights are actually reasonably cheap to these places because there are so many flights compared to some of the other places you play champions league finals but um i think well even a regular season game dean i want to say that
2: we haven't given up on that okay you know and we and we're we're going to we're going to continue this quest if you will i mean it's something that we don't think it's we think it helps the game. We think it helps grow the game. Steve Ross, our owner, is all about that. Danny Silman, our CEO. these guys are are, you know we're trying to grow the game. We have a women's tournament, a girls' tournament, a boys tournament, you know, and these are not money makers as you can imagine. Yeah. And uh, this is same part of that. You know, this la liga expansion, we have. We've done so many great things with La Liga, and why not bring a game? It just makes perfect sense, you know. So we're going to continue to try. But to your point, I mean, I think it'll be much. Uh, I could see having a Champions League game here, or a Champions League. I could see it having games here. Never mind uh, a final, but a final should be pretty easy to pull off. Thank you think you?
1: You know you're gonna have a hundred thousand nutty Liverpool fans taking over Ann Arbor to bring him to bring him to the big house. <laughs> I tell you
2: this. I, I tell you this just to give you a sense. When we start, we did the first game, and I have to give Steve Ross credit for this because uh, he's a mad genius. Obviously, when it comes to this, he goes, "Oh no, trust me, my alma mater, Michigan's gonna." We're like, if you've ever seen Michigan, it's uh, Ann Arbor. It's a tiny little town. In I went. I went there nowhere. last
1: year to interview to Stegen, and it was. Um, there you go. It was mad. There
2: you go. <laughs> And, uh, you know, and he says, no, trust me. And we sold Man United Real Madrid. And in the first four or five hours, we sold 99,000 tickets. And we had to stop selling them because I swear to God, we could have sold 200,000 tickets for that
0: game. In eight hours. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's and, and no, you it was get nuts to back Because
2: it. <laughs> we didn't, we, exactly. And we had to stop because we wanted regular fans to get them, not just alumnus of the, alumni of the university. Ooh. And so if you have the right product, people are going to come and it's just going to help promote the products around.
1: In terms of, you know, keeping this moving and keeping it in terms of different differentiations in in, in leagues or locations, whatever, there's always this talk of of European Super League, Charlie. And for me, as uh, you know, I'm not quite the old traditionist that we've been bashing, but I'm a slight purist in that I really, really don't like this idea. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, me, yeah me, me, this
0: worries me and deeply. tell me
1: Jack why don't you like the idea because I tell be you this it. let me, t- <laughs> let me sis, this yeah, you want to be in
2: it, be in it. <laughs> exactly VAR is a great example I have to tell you on our show and I love to I, I love to uh, I, I love to say this it, that we get so many expats and they all said the same thing you know what the big problem with VAR was going to be before it came we're never going to argue again in the pubs <laughs> that's what they said yeah, they everyone said yeah. that was the only argument that i heard from the brits yeah. and i'm like there are so many more arguments now <laughs> that we have var what are you guys worried yeah, everyone about everyone should you be know? so happy yeah 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 everyone should be so happy so yeah i've been uh i've been up and down the uh highway with the super league i've been run over a couple times too along the way
1: yeah uh,
2: What do you think, Charlie? Where do you think it's heading? It's hard to say. It really is hard to say. I mean, you know, you have to look at the different developments in the world of football, right? Um, You know, it's, it's funny. You look at things and I'm not trying to be, you know, overly philosophical here, but you know, FIFA, for example, has in their regulations and statutes, you have to have relegation and promotion, but now they've decided you don't have to have it in America.
1: Yeah.
2: Why? I don't know why. You know what I mean? You tell me why. Okay. Uh, Mexico just decided to scrap their second division. Mm -hmm. Nothing to do with coronavirus, but maybe like many things, people take coronavirus and decide they're going to use it for something, Mm -hmm. some evil thing. And this is maybe one of them where they say, we don't want a second division anymore. It already got to the point where in, in Mexico, that when a team would come up, the wealthier team could buy their way back in. They could say, you know, you can't really make it economically, so we're going to stay up. So, <laughs> you know, no. And this is, I'm just saying, look at the world around you, right? Man. And so now, that's what's happening there. Uh, and and we think of we think of everything in terms of the big five, you know, us on this show here, Sam and Jack and Dean and Charlie. We think that's what we think of generally what football is, right? But it's it changes throughout the world. And I look at something like, you know, I look at something like Mexico and the US now. You know, you're now you have two huge countries, between them five hundred something million people. Throw Canada in too. What the hell? Because they have two professional leagues now, okay? <laughs> they don't have relegation to promotion, but they have two professional leagues now. One plays in MLS, one doesn't. Now you're gonna have a continent, really an entire continent with 600 million people soon in between the, the three countries. And if someone came along and said, by the way, it's not going to be me. I deal with European football. Someone came along and said, we're going to start a league here. What are they going to say? Oh, no, you can't do that because you can't have teams that play. You already have it. You have Canada, Canadians playing in America. So that rules out the window. So. It seems like you want to enforce rules that are, I don't know, convenient or traditional or whatever it is. So it's traditional in the U.S. not to have relegation and promotion. You, uh, is that what that is? Do, do you think that that's a good thing?
1: I, I'm intrigued as to your personal opinion on it. Well, I mean, I think it's what you decide is good
2: and bad, right? Because I will tell you, I got myself in trouble in this one time answering the same question, Jack. So I, <laughs> I don't think you're doing this on purpose, <laughs> either, but uh, I answered it on my show, actually. I think that you know if you ask any NFL owner, the NFL is a fascinating study to me Okay, because it is the most communist league with all capitalists' owners. It's a league that could only be owned by a majority owner. One can own it. Can't be a corporation. Can't be a fund. Can't be anything. So when they sit around the table with, I think it's 32 owners, but I'm sure somebody will correct Yeah, 32. Me. They sit around and it's 32 people. That's it. And, and by the way, it's 32 older white gentlemen with a lot of money, okay? Um, and occasion, there's a widow that becomes the president <laughs> along the way. But that really, this is really where we are right now. I mean, that's just the reality. They have some of the biggest businesses on the planet. They are the most capitalistic Democrat with a small D, you know, they wanna, they believe in freedom of the markets and everything. And and but when it comes to building a league, they decide we are going to put in what's ever best for the league. So by the time we open the doors every Monday morning of the first day of the season, we all make money. Every single team makes money. And the argument that they would tell you is because we maximize revenues, we minimize expenses, we do. We have a salary cap in place. And this makes sure that we're all can play a, on a level playing field. You know, it's a, it's a fascinating thing when you think about it. The challenge that we have in Europe is that we've been having wars for thousands of years against each other, right? So it's a lot different when you say like, uh, you know, you guys have it, I hear it every day, the Geordies against these guys. And you know, it's like, you know, you even have wars within your own country, right? And so it's like these, these wars over the years, if you will, these tensions are there. And, you know, the guys in Madrid want to beat the guys in Barcelona. And the guys in London want to beat the guys in Paris. And so I think it's hard, to have, it's hard to have a Super League because you have to have some things in place that are more equitable, if you will. Mm-hmm. I also think the Super League's biggest challenge is getting there is tradition um so you know it's not the problem isn't you know whether or not it's good for chelsea and arsenal and ac milan and inter milan the problem is is it good for aston villa and is it good for fulham and is it good for napoli and is it good for parma that's really where the challenge is and so it's not though is it it can't
0: be good for those clubs or uh, particularly for no
2: no it, it look the reality is it would be very 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 different and probably not very good for the smaller clubs. But if you're saying, if you you said to me, do I think it's a good thing? No, I think it'd be an attractive thing. What I don't understand is the argument that um, you know these guys play each other every week. No one wants to see that. That's nonsense because that's all you want to see anyway in England. You want to see Chelsea play Arsenal every year. Because the reality is, it's only a few years that Stoke's in it, then someone else is in mm. it, then it's it's Portsmouth or it's Fulham, forgive me, fellows, or it's Villa, you know, and. But the reality is the end of the day, the big games are still the big games. So if you had a league, a super league, I don't know if it'd be better or worse, but it would be like the NFL. Yeah. It would be a, a money machine that would attract global attention and global sponsors. Now, Sam, to your point, would Villa still be important? Probably not nearly as important as it is now in your life, you know? But the reality is, I'm not sure it's going to be.
0: As I was say, <laughs> arguably not that important lifetime. right now. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wonder actually though if I can't see league, teams actually like leaving their domestic leagues in the next ten years. But what I can see is a change of the Champions League, and we get a Super Champions League, and it I can see the real elite pushing for. A league that is played among I don't know 14 teams maybe and it it takes the place of the champions league weeks and they do play each other continuously and you do have an overall winner and I've seen this this idea mooted before and I I think maybe even discussions have happened about the idea of a super champions league and I do think that's probably more realistic that there is a super league that happens alongside domestic action
2: Yeah. I'm with you, Dean. I never, I I never said, and we were playing with the idea the concept, if you will. And we were talking to different teams about it. It, Honestly, it was never a closed league. I don't think anybody internally ever wanted it to be a closed league. They were saying that, you know, um, uh, some of the more, let's say dominant members, I won't say you guys can figure the teams out that you want to, that you want to say They're used to winning their league every year or winning the Champions League. And they were like, well, we want to be permanent members. And I think there was a way that, you know, creating a legacy that there would be permanent giants in this thing. But we always, when we were playing with the idea, it was always the sense of there would be relegation and promotion. So there would be room for the Leicesters to come in when they had the miracle, right? But you wouldn't necessarily push out a Real Madrid. And, and that was something that was always a little bit tricky, but it, uh, that could be a, a, a European, uh, as you said, the Champions League, Super Champions League, and that could that could absolutely be uh, one that's semi-fixed. I'll call it. And and look, I mean, think about it. Just for, and I'm a European, double citizen, U.S. and Italian, and and you know, think about. Uh, I still, I went to a Super Bowl after nine eleven. And I took David Gill and Peter Kenyon and all the folks when they were over and still at Man United. And, you know, we took him, you know why we took him to New Orleans to see whether it would be good to move the Champions League final to the weekend. Mm -hmm. Literally, that was the report that we did for the uh, (laughs) for UEFA. Okay, and David Gill published a report and, and, uh, you know. This is a pretty straight guy, a pretty, you know, saying like, we're still doing the Champions League on a Wednesday night, the Champions League final. So think about it. If for every weekend, not every weekend, but for a dozen weekends a year, you had big teams from big countries and big cities visiting the other thing. So if, you know, if Aston Villa, you know, was in the Champions League in this super – what are we calling it super, super champions, champions league super champions league <laughs> and people would go to birmingham for the weekend from munich or from people from uh birmingham going to rome i mean that the sounds, reality is like if your group. team <laughs> <laughs> if, if your team's in it right and most likely let's be honest it'll be a chelsea or something but wouldn't it be great for the european economies for you know to have these games on a on a you know on a Saturday afternoon or Sunday afternoon where people could go in and out and, and spend the Friday, Saturday, Sunday in these towns. And I think it would be something that would be good for Europe. Never mind, just for, just for uh, the, the, the few teams. But at the end of the day, uh, there is so much football right now. And there's so many little teams. Do you think they're going to die? I don't think they're going to die. I just think they may be less important than they I were. just
0: don't like the idea of football developing anything other than the meritocracy, which obviously it's... Uh, it's...
2: You know what Giorgio there... Canal used to say to me, my dear friend and radio partner who, who passed away, who grew up in Wales and Swansea before he became a great superstar? He would always say to me, Charlie, it's the money, you moron uh and uh he was probably right yeah you know it's always been the money he probably was sir alex ferguson would tell me that uh martin Mm -hmm. edwards would say to him we've sold x number of season tickets there's your check go out and buy players it's always been about the money you know and it's it's romantic look fellas the whole premier league is something you guys created and invented (laughs) you scrapped tradition you scrapped the English tradition of the first division, second of it, you scrapped it, created the Premier League, and now you're yelling at us for trying to change the <laughs> it's game. It's not
1: me, Charlie. I wasn't bored.
2: <laughs> right. I know you, because I love you, Jack. You know, but it is the reality that I'm, I'm being sincere Yeah, here. yeah, of course. The Premier League scrapped tradition to create the Premier League. Yeah. You know what the problem was or the issue? You know why I made it? Because football wasn't that big yet. It wasn't a huge business. So it was easy for them to rip this up and create the Premier League. They created the NFL. They created the NBA. They created the most successful soccer league in the world. And that was 100% against tradition. Mm-hmm. They decided here's who's going to be in the first. Here's is going to be in the Premier League. Here's who's going to be in the in the in the championship. Okay, this is it, fellas. You're in or you're out. What are you doing?
0: I'm and, in. And you guys did it. It's a different. It's a different scenario to a. a Why a, is it Permanent Champions League, though, isn't it? It's it, you know Real Madrid get to just be in the Champions League forever. They could dip and dip. They and will be anyway. They will say, be no, anyway, no, though. I don't, okay, no, but, fine. Don't make but, it Real Madrid. Make, Sam, it Os- make, it Sam, make it had, Arsenal. Make
2: it If we had, yeah, okay, but if you had right. That's a great example, right? Here's one of the challenges you have with the Super League or any super champions league or whatever we're we're knocking around here as a concept, right? Is that you have already you have six huge teams in England, right? Mm-hmm. You have and now people are saying Newcastle's gonna be a super team because of the Saudis bought it. Right. I, I don't know, you know what yeah. I mean? Money's you
0: know money like
2: Georgia would say to me, Charlie, it's the money you're more on, right? Uh it's really, and it wasn't long ago when Italy had seven, the seven sisters, when they were dominant force in Europe with their clubs, right? Yes. That's going to change. You guys did an amazing job with the premier league. The problem is other leagues haven't kept up with you. Right. And so you have three, four times the money they have in Italy and in Germany and in Spain and you know, everyone's now aspiring to be in the Premier League, right? So what happens? At some point, you're going to sit there and it's going to be like, okay, there's six of us that are bigger than everyone. At some point, you know, these aren't um, these aren't English owners anymore. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I, I get They're it. not English
2: owners anymore. Like so my say, question is, you guys grow up as Fulham fans, right? I'm, I feel sorry. Hey, you support you Milan, Charlie. As... <laughs> you can't yeah, be I throwing do. any stuff yeah. at us. Yeah, sure. We're pretty bad right now, <laughs> but we do have seven. We do have seven champions. Yeah, there guys, that. so that's yeah. okay. uh, no, at at some point, I'm saying that who owns Chelsea? Did he grow up with the romance of Fulham? Mm. Who owns Man United? Did he, did they grow up with the romance of of uh, you know uh, of of Aston Villa? You know, who owns all these clubs? Mm. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a question that I think is a fair one to ask, and so, you know, and I go back to it. You guys scrapped tradition to create the Premier League, but now you're pissed off at everyone else when they decide to do a little manoeuvring to do something that's going to bring in more money to the game. Uh, I think there's a lot know. of people in the UK... I, I think you'll
1: find a lot of people in the UK really um, hate the Premier League. And, I'm winding them up. Yeah, no, no, I know. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I don't mind. I'm... But Sam's, oh, Sam's on the wind-up. I, I guess, like, Sam's <coughs> point about Arsenal, well, I mean, I would take it to you on a, on a more kind of romantic level, Charlie. If it was Milan. Please. You know, Milan yeah. have been in and out of the Champions League places for... but. Ten years ago, that was un... well, just over ten years no, ago, it was that unheard was of. Ten years ago, was unheard like, of. It was sure. To, to, that, yeah. that you know that this lot here might not be in the Champions League anymore. <laughs> you know, and right, yeah, right. here we are in a situation like you said. The seven sisters of, of Italy were were dominant, and and now they're not. You know, look, right. these, This shirt here, which I adore, oh, Jesus Christ, <laughs> are no longer a force in European football. <laughs> yeah. Right, like, exactly. Uh, but they were. And and, And they were, and and
2: Batigal was great. And they had all the great, you know, look, this is something that is, I I love the conversation. I'm honestly, I'm actually a very traditional person. (laughs) I really am. And I fought the idea of, you know, the back pass to the goalkeeper. We're like, of course you can't get rid of that. Yeah. I mean, it's part of the game. Two points you know? for a win.
1: Yeah, I know, I get it. Yeah,
2: <laughs> and it's like, oh my God, you know, and every game in Italy was 1-0 or 1-1 because you couldn't possibly, It's you know, it's, look, it's just, I'm not saying all change is good and I'm not saying that you should have a Super League and that's good. All I'm saying is that I think we do get too caught up on what our idea of tradition is, you know? And I think we do get so caught up on it that we uh, we don't ever look to open it up a bit to see how things may have changed. I mean, what was the team Burry that just went out of business, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I got Ray Hudson crying on the show. It's so sad and Burry and, and I'm like, really, honestly, you know, Barry to me is Burry Biscuits. They were a company that my dad worked for. You know, it's like, it's not guys, you know, life changes. There's no more Sears and Roebuck anymore either. You know, you got to keep up and sometimes it, it's okay for something to go out of business. I'm not saying we want to scrap everything, but, you can't hold on to every little thing, you know? Yeah,
0: you no, no, no. Okay. I'm, not, I'm not holding on to everything. I'm just trying to protect the the, the sacred element of competitiveness in a sport. Because right. so if you are removing the- that, like you do in MLS and like you do in NFL, where you can you can suck for Andrew Luck and you can tank for mm-hmm. Taylor and drop, drop to the bottom do and that. lose all your games and get the first pick, like, that's bad. That is not a situation you want to get into. And if you create a situation... Where a club has a permanent residence in the most lucrative competition in the world, it will not promote competitiveness, and it will not, it will not, it will not not punish failure. No, no, that's a
2: great question. Look, I'm okay with what you're saying there. Will it, will it not promote competitiveness? What an NFL owner would tell you is that what Steve Ross said to us the other day in our little internal meeting, the owner of the Miami Dolphins, the owner of our club, a man I consider a genius. He's like, we're the most competitive league in the world, the NFL. I'm like, okay, yeah, but you're all from America. It's like, you know, calm yourselves, you know what I mean? And, but his point is that we all start out with the same. There is no Manchester United. There is no Real Madrid where they have more money than the guys, than Aston Villa or the AC Milan right now or the Fiorentina right now. They are, What their argument is, we all have the same amount of money. And so it's all about our brains who's ever the smartest and the best that happens to be the New England Patriots, it seems like, you know what I mean? That they figure out how to do it better and smarter. Now, Sam, I'm exactly like you. I have the, I want to see teams come up and teams go down. I do think we've got, we've watered down all the major leagues though. I do think that's too much. You know, we're, there shouldn't be 20 teams in Italy. There may be, you can afford 20 teams in England, but the bottom teams aren't really competitive anymore. I think there needs to be some adjustments, even for this romantic view of things.
0: Mm. Well, that's a different question entirely. Going down to eighteen <laughs> know, or sixteen teams—that's actually not on the agenda, Should Charlie. Be. If you started-
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, look, we've we've discussed three big, three big kind of moves there. In many ways, and maybe we'll, we'll, we'll at the end we'll come back and and have a look at where where they fit in an order of most likely to least likely, but. I know Dean okay. wants to talk about robots.
0: <laughs> now, that's a standing <laughs> comment. That's not just because you're on the show, Charlie.
2: Uh, he I, wants I, to talk like, about I'm really getting worried now, you know. <laughs> Sam, Jack, help me out here. Why does he want to talk about robots? He loves <laughs> robots? <He loves> Twitter <laughs> making substitutions
1: in Dean's head.
0: We're talking about like the way that the game might play, it might change. And I've spoken to people about the idea of um AI coming into the game, technology growing. Uh, the way everything is going to evolve in the next 10, 20 years. And Wenger actually came out and and talked about the fact that he thinks one day robots will be standing on the touchline and they'll be making substitutions based on data that's just drilled into a machine. The players that are on the pitch right now, the most likely chance they've got of scoring a goal is to go down that channel to play a certain play and get it into the book, whatever it is. There is a certain route to goal that will give them a better chance to score and it will be programmed into somebody And they will put the message across to the players and they'll carry it out that action and see if it works. Um, You already have that. Sorry. It's called FIFA and Konami. You already have it. Yeah, Yeah.
2: It's not far off of that. That's the thing though. And that's. No, but, but look, no, 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 no. Arsene Wenger's wrong. Just like he was wrong that a team can never win if it goes in preseason outside its country. uh, (laughs) I mean, that's a great example. I mean. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if you guys are taking. What did you say? Take the piss out of me or something? No, no. no <laughs> this is what this is. But the um, the the robot. I mean, look. The beauty of the game is that there's human beings, yes. and we can argue, and we can have fun here, and I could wind Sam up, and Jack and I can wind him up some more about things. And like, the the reality is this. I I the reason why the game is so great, and the reason why we have relegation and promotion, and we have all these wonderful nuanced things for our, our football okay uh, because we don't in America it's completely strange these ideas of relegation and promotion and anything yeah. I mean they think it's nuts you know they think it's nuts that we end in draws they think it's nuts that we have penalty kicks to side things you know but it doesn't mean they're right and uh, we're wrong because we're not wrong we're right you know, <laughs> yes, okay? but it's about it's about humans and the wonderful part of this game is the humanity we started this conversation talking about bail. And, and look in any sport, what's so amazing. It's, you know, I had to deal with everyone telling me soccer's boring. Okay. I mean, you know, you guys don't understand this. You know, I had, I ran the world cup in New York and I had to explain to people that soccer was a good game. Football was a good game. And by the way, stop getting mad at me when I use the word soccer. Oh, I, know. You guys me menu, board. So, I know it's so ridiculous anyway. So at the end of the day, I look at this thing and I'm saying, At some point, I said, forget it. I don't have to apologize anymore for this. But the reality is, it's just like golf. If you've never played golf, you can't tell me that golf's an exciting game to watch on TV or cricket or anything else. So, what makes every game interesting? It's because there's a human being out there doing something that we can't do. Okay. I'm not as good as Gareth Bale. Okay. I'm not as good as Baresi. I don't even pretend to think that. Okay. So, that's what makes the game so great. I think if we get to the point where we're programming stuff, I mean, maybe that's a manager's dream that the player actually does what he says he's going <laughs> to do. I it. You know, uh, and look, I understand that you as a manager, especially someone as cerebral as as Arsene Wenger, is saying, "I can't figure it out. Why can't they do what I'm telling them to do?" You know, and you know, as far as technology, you know, every sport has this. Uh, I saw um, the British race driver, Formula One driver. Um, Lewis Hamilton. Lewis Hamilton. Yeah. Lewis Hamilton, talking about he got to drive and Senna's uh, race car, yeah. and it used to be twelve hundred horsepower. Now they're seven hundred horsepower, you know, for safety for different different reasons. Technology changes all the time. We have VAR, you know. You know, would have life been different if 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 uh, Lamp Lampard's goal went in against Germany, right? I mean, okay, (laughs) it's it's easy to say no, right? It's easy to say no, (laughs) but if when I sit with Fabio Capello, he tells me, you know, two twos or two twos different than you know than uh, two to one at halftime, huge huge moment, pivotal, yeah. And so the point is, you know, there are going to be, you know, there's still this human element that I think is the most important part of the game, and. I think that that's what makes sports exciting and interesting. And that's what makes, you know, us be able to, I'll only talk for myself A not go ahead like me gets to talk about football. Well,
0: that makes Dean um, very sad. Very sad. indeed. No, I, I, no, I, am I really, I, I
2: really think you guys are winding me up. No, really, not. You're no, not I winding just wanted, me up, no, Dean? I wanted to throw in the robots idea.
0: did. You no, know, I just, because I'm, I just amazed like how Wenger spoke about it that day. It was like, like a year ago now and I still, I've written a feature on it and everything because I'm just like amazed at like, How convinced he was that that would happen. But anyway, I'm gonna move on to the last idea here, and it is a more romantic idea. And it's the idea that footballers, in the way that NFL players, I understand, have done this, will sign one-day contracts for their club favorite clubs at the end of their career and then retire the next day. Um I think it was mentioned to me, I think Jabby was a player that was mentioned to me. he should have done it um, at Barcelona after leaving to go to El Saad, um, the Qatari team. Yeah. You know That shouldn't have been his last club. He should have gone back to Barcelona and had a big farewell presentation. They should have done a press conference, run through his best moments, got him on the pitch one last time. And that was it. That was the day his career ended, not out in Qatar. Um, and I do think I've heard it mooted a couple of times now in the last year. And I, Charlie, I, I don't know if you've heard this, but I, I feel like certainly in the next 10 years that, that someone will do that. Yeah. Look, I, uh, you know, it's funny. It's, we are talking about this here. It's a natural thing they do. Right.
2: Um, it, it's bizarre. It's really it, nice. nice. And I tell you why, because, you know, look, when, when I grew up playing football, our football, soccer you know you're if you every day your uniform changed if you were the right back you had number two if you're left back you had number three you know and um so you don't you didn't have a lot of numbers now we've changed but in american baseball you know they retired numbers and this is the enormous honor the other enormous honor is the hall of fame in baseball there's still only something like 300 people are in it i can't think the number it's not that many it's like one or two a year get put into it right yeah. And so that was the sport when I was a kid growing up. I mean, in America, you have to think about it. It was boxing, uh, horse racing, and baseball. There was no NBA or NFL yet. You know that didn't happen till the late '60s. NBA didn't happen till the '70s till Magic was against Bird, right? And so this is a throwback, very traditional, something I love. And I'm a New York Yankee fan. And I can tell you the numbers. Derek Jeter, number two, you know, Babe Ruth, number three, Lou Gehrig, number four, Joe DiMaggio, number five, etc. You know, uh, Mickey Mantle, number seven, you know, uh, uh, Yogi Berra, number they eight, all retired, all retired numbers. So have, you got any, have you got any numbers left? <laughs> that's, the, that's the point I'm making right now. So what's happened is you, you can't do this in <laughs> soccer, right? Because... You, I mean, and and that's why people go to that club, right? Yeah. And they sign. They, what they do is they'll sign the contract for a day, and they'll actually retire his number then. Yeah, and that's a really special moment. Now, the Yankees are an unusual team, you know, in that they've, you know, they've had this. Sort of legendary cast of of not just I mean they're they're no different than a Barcelona or a Man United. You could go to Liverpool now. You you know we're going to interview Dalgliesh this week. I mean you know I mean you could go through the ages with so many wonderful Liverpool players or Man United players, Villa players, Fulham. I'm not sure. But I guess you could. <laughs> oh, we him. had we had one
0: or two, yeah. I think. You that could. could uh, de- I mean, did, didn't <laughs> did Milan did Milan retire Maldini shirt at, le- at Malvini, least for a period.
1: Maldini and Barese. His shirts, uh, um, it's different, isn't yeah. it? His shirts is only allowed to be used if Daniel Maldini takes it. Exactly,
2: exactly. <laughs> you know, it's funny, but it's I'm I'm a really romantic in that, but I think the re- the reason is, and, and I may be wrong, but I, I think I'm right. The reason is because they retire the number, you know. Right. And American numbers are you know mm-hmm. zero to a hundred. Now we see players doing this all the time as they're copying sort of that part of the American uh, game. Yeah. But that's a wonderful thing. And, you know...
0: Um, I think it would only be for the very, very best, like Xavi, for example. Like, it would have to be of yeah. that ilk, you know. Like, I mean, it's Yester. so silly. that Yeah, or Iniesta, like, it's so but, sad. you know, but there's a great thing. They, though. they
2: had five or six guys in that team were the best player in the world in their position, right? So what are you going to give each... You go through the list of guys that they had, you know. Yeah. Puyol first. Okay, then we got the next guy. And then you got, you know, shot. I don't think you have you to retire. You don't
0: have to carry on that tradition of retiring the Is number. It? I think it's just no. more of the, the farewell, I think. No,
2: but I'm saying that's why they... That's why they uh, do it. That's why a lot of them do it, why they retire at that thing. It's not like the only, and if they get into the Hall of Fame, as I was mentioning to you, then they go in with that jersey they wore last.
0: Right. right? Ah,
2: So that's why they do it. Right. Um, So it's it's all sorts of, you know, but the other thing they do, which I find fascinating, which I've never seen in football, and I could be wrong here, is they'll do a farewell tour. So Kobe Bryant, you knew yeah, that's was, right. Yeah. You know, rest his soul. You know, I went to see one of his games. I, you know, I happened to go, someone asked me to go to the game. I went to the game and there was Kobe Bryant playing for the Lakers and everyone was there to see him Yeah, yeah, yeah. just say goodbye, basically. Yeah. Uh, sadly now it's, but, yeah. but every, a lot of players, big players do that. And I'm surprised that hasn't happened. Like, you know, a, a John Terry for Chelsea exactly. or, you know, when he's ending, you know, why wouldn't you say no, but you know, one of the challenges we have is that everyone feels that they are, um, they can give a little more, right? What's the hardest thing in sport to give it up yeah. Yeah, yeah. and very few players give it up when they probably should. Yeah. And look at, you know, uh, when you guys were saying this uh, I was thinking of De Rossi. Yeah.
0: Oh, yeah, Here's yeah.
2: a guy that, you know, ended up and Totti too, you know, you just at some point you got to let it go. You know, uh, and but De
0: Rossi like spent, you know, why did, why did he do that? And the other two that I have, were sad, Lamp- it's sad. Lampard and Gerard should have retired as Chelsea and Liverpool players. Right. 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 And they could do it with a one year, with a one day contract.
2: Talking of, they could, and I agree with you, and it should be that way. But, you
1: know, it, it's, it's a nice gesture. And I think it's a matter of time. I Absolutely. don't, I don't say that much nice about Sevilla. Um, but I will hear because Sevilla have a, a really nice thing they did because obviously there's there's retiring shirt numbers and all that. But when Antonio Puerta died, um, yeah. they they were originally going to retire the number sixteen shirt for him. But instead mm-hmm. of doing that, they now have a thing where the sixteen shirt can only be worn by a homegrown player that's come through the academy mm-hmm. in his honor, which I think is a really like nice gesture and allows the kind of tradition to be carried on. So when Jesus Navas went back there, who was obviously friends with Puerto and, and part of that Seville kind of all-conquering side, yeah. took the 16 jersey as kind of a show of like, this is my respect. And, and then they kind of took that on to be like, well, when the next kind of young player comes yeah. through the academy, they, they, they will take that shirt. I thought that was a really nice touch in that yeah. you could yeah. do that for a Xavier uh, and an Iniesta you've like the 6 and 8 yeah, and only you could be worn by La Masia graduates and you're like okay well
2: look look at number 7
0: at United Yeah I was thinking of that one yeah First.
2: okay I mean you know you have got that's a heavy shirt as yeah. they say yeah. Yeah. You, arcade, you know you think you can't replace it shirt. and they
0: struggle and struggle but then say Sancho does arrive and Sancho does take off at Man United then suddenly you've got your new number 7 so yeah. it is quite a nice legacy No and look to it's live a, up to. it's a
2: wonderful thing I I mean these are, look, I told you guys, I'm a traditionalist. I'm sitting here weeping inside. These stories are great, you know, and I wish, I honestly, I, I'm not, um, I, I just think that that's something, that the game should always evolve. I don't think, I don't believe in revolution, but I think it should evolve. Mm. And I think things, there are certain things in this game that are are, are stifled because we are, uh, because there's someone caught up in tradition, yeah. right? Yeah. And you've got to be careful that you're listening to the right people. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely.
1: Yes, Which we you nailed down, these, down a list then of, of likelihood.
2: Yes, do you go want ahead, to tell it? me. I'll tell you what's going to happen, what's not. Yeah. So, robots, no. So robots, robots at the bottom of this list, <laughs> list, is it?
0: Five. Robots in five. five. No,
2: I'm shocked. I but, I but I do think Arson was probably thinking that I can't get these damn guys to listen <laughs> to me. <laughs> so this is the only way they're going to listen to me yeah
1: so Uh, we've got we we kind of changed the european super league to the european super champions league well that was dean's idea and uh, i i think i do
2: think it's a matter of time um that there are more weekend games and i know that that is um you know like if if you look at just in a practical sense the premier league sells their tv at 38 weekends and that's why you guys are able to get the numbers that you get, the teams get, not you guys. Yeah. I mean, you're yeah, not rich yeah. owners. <laughs> that are, that not are
0: yet, wearing. Charlie. We own uh, Ranks FC. We're uh... <laughs> yeah, yeah, ex-
2: exactly. So I think that – I do think that there will be sooner rather than later weekend games, and I'm not saying – I think there's got to be a compromise because you can't eliminate all the – you can't have all weekends for, for European competition, but I do think there's there's space – for some uh, compromise, where there's weekend games where people can actually go and enjoy the wonderful cities that are in Europe, mm. uh, and I think that would be really nice. That's a champ- mm. super th-
0: Champions League game on a weekend.
2: Yeah, I just think even a Champions even league a Champions
0: League, Champions league game, game. Yeah, I, like, I do like that. I do like that.
2: Uh, I think that. I think that when you start getting the knockout stage, I think there should be some accommodation made, and that doesn't mean you can still have ten other games in the league. Yeah. That or eight other games in the in the league that on a weekend, yeah. right? Maybe there's two games that are during the week because they're both competing in the in the Champions League. Yeah. I do think that there's a place for that. And I think that would be good for European football. Do okay. Th- that isn't too much, is no. it fellas? No, a, uh, a, cha-
0: a Champions League final on US shores or outside of Europe. Is that the most likely thing you think we've talked about today?
2: No, I think the most likely thing is a is a game, a foreign game of uh, Well, I think it's equal, a foreign game coming to the U.S. shores or to China. Um, And I do think it's right around the corner that there will be a a Europa Cup final, a Champions League final, something that is a neutral-based venue that absolutely will go very soon. But uh, I I wouldn't be surprised if uh, there's a regular season game that's also played. I don't think it's one of these things that's going to be hundreds of games. People don't understand the logistics and the problems and, and as you point out, the locals that are going to go crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not like it, it, it's it's one of those fears that's irrational. You know, yeah, and you could you could resolve it really easy. If your big fear is that, which is stupid that or ridiculous, that you say, Oh, there's gonna be 30 games a year outside of uh you know, Premier League games outside of England—it's not going to happen. But you could limit it to okay, in any year it can only be two. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? It's yeah. not like it's that hard, and you could say that it's it can't be the same team with you know uh, it can only go out once every five years. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. You've you've solved your problem, right? The, so uh, Man United time. loses one home
1: game in five years. Charlie, the yeah. only time that there's ever been thirty plus premier league games outside of england was when cardiff and swansea were both in the premier league <laughs> that's right that's right
2: that's a good point point.
1: Oh and God. there's a question why isn't Scotland?
0: well why is wales in and yeah, I yeah. well wales right. isn't in exactly.
1: is it wales has its own league as well it's a bit like canada true, it's like canada It's
0: yeah, yeah it's, um, it's
1: only enforce rules that
0: you want to not you guys i mean generally yeah. go in, ahead next question oh well, yeah we've got we've got uh one day contracts to fit into a this one ranking. day contracts yeah. fit what into does that ranking? fit one to five uh
2: that should be immediate i mean we got to figure this out let's get a player this year that's coming to the end of his career and let's have him do it right uh, this is on us
1: now we're we're, we're implementing one yeah game, no i'll help
2: you on. i'll
1: help you yeah do it. Do it. I'll help you. i'm into it i think it
2: yeah. was, yeah, was no i love i look today. i love the idea and uh you know rarely does a player get to end his career a guy like Maldini or Barese did it which is wonderful and if you remember Maldini's final day was spoiled by a bunch of fans that put a sign up saying you know you're not our captain because he came out against the ultras he said there's no place in the game for you knuckleheads you know and uh, well they're beyond knuckleheads they're jackasses you know so um you know, it doesn't this idea of celebrating your hero is wonderful and it should be done. And if, if this is something that they could do, sign him for one day and maybe bring him back at the opening day of the next season where he at least comes out to the field and then
1: and then retires, that'd be great, you know? Yeah, I think it's yeah. a lovely touch. and that is yeah. the end of the ranking and the, uh, yeah, and that is the end ranking. of the episode which which means that all there's left to do, Charlie. I so was grateful, loved so that. To thank you, that was a, a phenomenal. Thank you.